Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham and my wonderful producer, Lindsay. Uh, we, this is our midweek podcast and as usual, as you guys may know now, it changes any day from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, depending on our guest schedules. And speaking of guests, I have a very, very special guest on today, Dr. Raul Garcia, who is an ER doctor, microbiologist, immunologist, uh, great leader at these times, as you will know, <clears throat> and you will hear some of his opinions about what's going on with COVID-19. Um, he is also running for governor of Washington State. Uh, I had the pleasure and honor of meeting him uh, last Tuesday, and I tell you, I was really impressed. As you guys might know, when you follow my politics, I don't vote for parties at all. I vote for individuals, and I am a guy that loves liberty. Good morning. Doing well. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you bet. bet. It's definitely our pleasure. So why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about your story growing up in Cuba and then migrating to the United States and, and why, you, why you're getting into political, um, why you're um, getting into political service. Sure. Well, uh, good morning again and good morning to everyone. Thank you for giving me your time. Um, I've been at the front lines of the COVID pandemic for the last four months. And uh, I actually was one of the first people that said, we need to give our president and our governor a break. This is an unprecedented event. And it is an unprecedented event. And there was a lot of panic and fear that ruled at that time when, when the virus started uh, spreading here in the United States, especially here in the state of Washington. But there were a few things that I didn't like uh, as a microbiologist, immunologist, uh, the first mistake I think we made is that we didn't really shield our most vulnerable population. And that's step one that we should have done. The elderly in our nursing homes started getting sick and dying uh, as a consequence of that. Then I saw that we were pretty much in control of that first wave. Actually, our hospitals were empty. We were furloughing nurses and doctors because people weren't coming. Uh, elective surgery was closed. The hospitals uh, were closed for um, for what it is, what truly is their biggest income. So hospitals were economically in a bad place. Uh, they wanted to reopen. Uh, they weren't allowed to reopen. And I think that at that time was the time to release the population out again and restart our economy, but that didn't happen. And I, and I wasn't in agreement with that. Um, this is not a virus that we could eradicate. This is not a virus that's in the middle of nowhere, a small town that we could quarantine and not let it come out to the rest of the world. This is a virus that it's, it's everywhere. So our goal throughout this whole pandemic has been to not overwhelm the healthcare personnel. The third thing and final thing is that I said, okay, um, I need to do something about this. And, and it deals with liberty. As, as you talked about when you opened, one branch of government has decided to rule without any checks and balances. And that to me hit me hard because I came from Cuba. And Cuba, we had a totalitarian dictatorship that really mandated everything we did in life 
uh, it was a government that controlled the people, controlled our lives. I, I lived in Cuba for 11 years, and, and that experience has left a mark in me of what big government is, what uh, a controlling government is, what, what an overbearing government is. My grandfather had a farm, uh, much like Eastern Washington. And the government came in and said, as of today, this land is state property. So all his dreams and hard work and sweat and dedication were gone in a matter of seconds. It was gone for our whole family. And uh, that was one example. My mother had a big example. She studied to, to be a teacher and had her own school. Uh, they came and they asked her to join the Communist Party. She said no. They said, well, there'll be consequences. And those consequences were that they took her school and they took her license to practice. So she later became a nurse and they took that license to practice as well. So I have a picture of what big government is and I have a clear picture of what we're walking into here in this state and I don't like it. Um, the brainwashing that went on for kids was the same. When I was in fourth grade, they asked us to put our heads down and ask God for candy. And when candy wasn't there, um, the teacher asked us, well, how about if we, if you put your heads down and ask the government, Fidel Castro, for candy? And candy appeared miraculously in every desk, on every desk. And um, the teacher said, that's so you understand that the only God is government. Now, now you understand, uh, or you could have a picture of why we love this freedom so much coming to this country and holding that blue American passport. Um, it's, it's unequaled by any other feeling in the world. And we have to defend this freedom here because this is the last shiny city on the hill. This is the last stands. And if we don't, as Ronald Reagan said, we're going to go into our sunset years explaining to our grandchildren that there was freedom at one point in this country and that it was great when we had it. So I stood up with my own two feet and said, I'm, I'm going to do something about it. As a matter of fact, I was venting to my wife over a campfire and uh, she turned to me and said, well, why don't you put your guts where your mouth is and, <laughs> and run and take this gentleman out of office. Um, and uh, I turned to her and I said, are you serious? Because I had dreamed of this moment for a long time. I have been prepared all my life to be in public service because I don't believe that there's any other gift that I could give back the American flag that is greater than this one for everything it did for me as a skinny kid from Cuba that got here without uh, clothes and not speaking English. Um, this is a beautiful piece of land where with hard work, you create opportunities. And I worked hard. I worked hard to become a doctor. I worked hard to become a leader in the medical profession. And I worked hard to lead state and national organizations for, for this purpose. For one day to be in public office, I was lucky enough to be a legislative intern for Senator Dole. And once I did that, it really reassured that that is where I wanted to end up one point in my life. Uh, as I said, as a gift back to this country for everything is done for me, I've had a wonderful 
run in this American dream that we all talk about. Um, that's unequaled anywhere else in the world. Uh, we have nowhere else to go if we don't defend that here. Wow. Well, what an inspiring story. I love it. I mean, it gives me goosebumps. And I got to say that there's some, you know, parallels in this country going on right now. As you might know, Dr. Garcia, you know, your mom getting her teacher's license taken and then getting her nurse's license taken. You know, governments, um, ours is a good example. They use licenses, you know, taking your license as a threat. Anytime um, your voice doesn't equal what they like to hear. A perfect example is Dr. Scott, Dr. Scott Jensen, who's also a senator in Minnesota. He's going to be on our podcast uh, next month. And, you know, he's got his license threatened to be taken away because he doesn't believe in a lot of the COVID ideas like um, some of the... Um, you know, mainstream would want us to believe. So he kind of believes a little bit like you that, you know, we need to protect our vulnerable population and because um, it's a virus, it's going to spread. So tell me a little bit about that, Dr. Garcia, when you say protecting our vulnerable population and maybe letting the healthy go out, is that what you're saying? So kind of like herd immunity, is that what you're saying? Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, we, we could have opened responsibly 11 weeks ago. And I, and I assure you that at that time, uh, if the government said, hey, we're going to reopen and you have to wear 17 masks, people would have done it uh, because we were, all, we were all together in this. What has happened is that for the past three months, we have played medical politics. Uh, we have played political science and people have lost trust and their respect for our government. So now it's become a political issue. When you mandate and you don't educate, this is what happens. And we have been mandated consistently and not educated enough. And I think that American people do not respond well to that. As we've talked about now, freedom is the most important thing. And that is is why uh, the American person will stand and say, wait a minute, you're telling me what to do. You're not teaching me so I can make my own decisions. And this is why this has become so politicized to a point that now it's a political football. Uh, but we unfortunately have gone through a lot of political science where good mom and pop businesses have gone bankrupt because they involuntarily have been blamed that they would spread the virus. Meanwhile, other businesses have been allowed to stay open without restrictions. And no one talks about how much the virus has spread there. So it's inconsistent. And um, it's actually, uh, for me, a, a very dark time. I think that we're not uh, being real with, with the people, we're not educating enough. Uh, we're not being transparent, and we're pro we're playing political science with human lives, and I, that that to me is uh, very detrimental to our society, to our community, to the future of our state. I I, I don't like it at all. Yeah, I, I I echo that for sure, and I, sometimes it's depressing to even watch or listen to the news because uh, <clears throat> I just slowly see our freedom as being being eradicated. So, 
it it sounds like you're not really a big believer in government mandates. Is that is that true when it comes to wearing masks? Is that true when it comes to staying home? Is that true when it comes to essential workers? How the government can label essential workers? You 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 probably coming from Cuba don't like government mandates. No, I, I don't at all. Uh, I think that we are walking into a very dangerous zone. We are walking into a zone where we are selling a culture of dependence on the government. Sounds like, sounds like the candy from Cuba thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So once we do that, we've lost. Once the community becomes dependent on the government for everything, then now the government has full control yep. of everything for everything. Um, that's a, we're, we're taking very dangerous steps towards that. So you and I need to change that, all of us, whoever is listening. We need to make sure that we stop taking steps towards that abyss because the abyss is near. Uh, and the abyss is when we completely sell this culture of dependence on the government. That's what the government wants, wants to control everything. And um, this is not the answer, folks. The, the government was created as a convenience, as a convenience for the people and given powers by the people. And it seems that they have taken those powers and multiplied it. And now they want control. Um, so I think we could have a better future. I think we could have an efficient government that walks hand in hand with, with citizens and businesses to open opportunities, not limit our growth, to help us enhance pros prosperity of our businesses, of, our, of ourselves, uh, a government that doesn't use the excuse of, uh, of taxes to, to spend money, <laughs> right. a, government, a government that runs lean, that, that runs smart, that runs efficient, that runs logical, uh, a government that is our friend. I don't think that anybody here or hearing us could say that the last time they got a call from the government, it was a great one. They smiled and they said, oh, wow. Right. <laughs> government is calling me to to help me out. Uh, so let's change. Let's change that from a punitive government to an educational one, a one that we could be proud of, one that walks hand in hand with us and is transparent. Um, so speaking of of COVID and some of the um, things we're talking about um what about a vaccine? You know, your, your background in microbiology, immunology, uh, what do you see as a, as a success of a vaccine? And tell us a little bit about your um, thoughts. <clears throat> well, I, I think that when a vaccine comes out, we have to examine it and see what's in it uh, and how effective it is and what the studies show. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, the sad truth is that to establish a, a good vaccine takes a long time. And I don't foresee... Uh, uh, an answer and a vaccine to come anytime soon. The, um, and, and if it comes, I think that there will, we will have competition, right? I think that there's a few pharmaceutical companies out there trying to be the one. So we have to make sure that it, that we don't, uh, hurry this process and come out with something that really doesn't work. And that again, uh, it will hurt us more than it'll help us. So we're going to ex examine that when it comes out, uh, be 
scrutinize whatever comes out, make sure that it, it does work, and then give recommendations. I have been asked many, many times, are you going to be in favor of a mandatory vaccine? And there's nothing about me that uh, that says that I will mandate anything. <laughs> but I will certainly educate the public and, and, and help the people understand the risk and benefits of everything and have recommendations. Uh, because all sectors of the population are not the same. There may be recommendations for the most vulnerable. There may be recommendations for uh, another sector of population. Uh, and those need to be different because everybody is not the same. So let's see when it comes out. I, I, uh, I think that everything that I have read uh, earliest that we will have one is March of next year. And uh, we'll scrutinize it and make sure that it's an answer to to this pandemic awesome yeah i love it i i love your opinions about you're just totally against government mandates and that comes up again and again in your conversation and i can tell you i don't hear many politicians say things like that and that's what i love because i i think that as humans we are born to be free and i think we do need some governing but i think uh when we look to the government um for all the answers and and um I think it just, it really, really is just a bad thing because um, ultimately we are in charge of our own health and ultimately as people we should be responsible for our own health and that's what we do on this radio show. We help to educate and empower individuals to make their own decisions, not the insurance company, not their not their doctor necessarily. Their doctor can help educate and, and um, definitely not the government. Maybe the government can help educate, but individuals need to make their own decision. So let's go back a little bit. Um, and you were an ER doctor in New York, correct? In the Bronx? Yes, I was. I, my claim to uh, fame before this was a reality show that, um, that we filmed in New York, uh, Bronx 911, Life in the ER. And That's cool. You see, so you're, yeah. you're, a, you're a TV star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got the, you've got the look fun. for it. That's for sure. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. So that uh, so that's where you went to DO school back in New York. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Uh, I spent uh, fourteen years in New York, and uh, I think that everybody should probably live in New York one year of their life. Uh, it's the capital of the world, and uh, in Queens, where I lived, there were two hundred and thirty-seven languages spoken. I believe. Wow, that's for, that's like every country almost. Then, so. So the experience that you get living in a place like that for a year of your life, I remember saying that to myself. I came to New York when I was 22, and I believed that the first year that I lived in New York, I learned more than I had learned in the previous 22 years of my life. Uh, just so many different cultures, uh, accepting different habits from people, uh, just a, a study of human behavior. If you sit and, and, and look at all the different cultures and what they do and how they interact, uh, it was a really an amazing experience. Yeah, I'll bet that does sound like amazing. I'm sure there were some exciting things going on in the ER too in the Bronx, I'm sure. Uh, nonstop. <laughs> nonstop. Uh, okay, so, and then you, you have a wellness clinic in Yakima, is that correct? Yes, yes. Will you we, tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, 
I'm board certified in neuromuscular medicine as well as emergency medicine. And um, uh, my wife and I opened this uh, wellness clinic back in, in May of 2008. Well, officially May of, of 2019, but we had we had opened a, a few months before. And it's a place for, for people to come and uh, have a physician sit with them and look at their life and look at their diet, their exercise, uh, their routines. And we establish a, a health plan that we feel is best for them. We use osteopathic manipulation to, to uh, balance their, their body and as far as the nervous system, the lymphatic system, uh, the, the circulatory system. Uh, we, we aligned, of course, the, the musculoskeletal system. And we look at every aspect of, of their life and say, okay, let's, let's put a plan together. And uh, at the other side, you're, we're going to be healthier. Uh, and uh, it has been very successful. I, unfortunately, during this COVID pandemic, we have been hit hard. And like everybody else, uh, we don't know if we're going to survive it, but we're, you know, we're hanging in there. As I tell every small business, hang in there till January, please. I wish I could be governor tomorrow, but uh, hang in there till January and, and we will reverse a lot of things and give some uh, breaks so these businesses could survive and, and keep some of their money so they can um, do what they do best and, and provide that customer service to the community. So not only have you experienced this covid as an er doctor in the front line on the front lines but you've also experienced it as a small business owner so you see you see both sides of it and you you say the hospitals aren't overwhelmed and that might be i, I don't want to put words in your mouth but that might be there might have been some hospitals that were overwhelmed although there's probably arguments about that across the nation in a very localized area but from what you're saying most of the hospitals haven't been overwhelmed and of course Pretty much every small business, I'm not going to say every, every is a strong word, but most every small business in the United States has definitely been hurt. Yes, yes. And, uh, well, so here's the reality of COVID. We went through a very dark period where, where we were overwhelmed for a few days because we didn't have proper protective equipment. All of a sudden, we were caught unprepared. Uh, we had to reuse masks, and, and you saw it on the news for, for days. Uh, New York City got hit very hard. We got hit very hard here in Seattle. Um, I'm a member of the American College of Emergency Physicians so board. So the board met um, regularly to, to see where we were uh, in every hospital. But there, there was a time when, when the hurricane passed and then the calm came that, that hospitals were underutilized. And, and that was uh, a rough time as well. For, for the hospitals financially. We, we had to furlough nurses and doctors. And now um, we are riding a second wave, but consistently, uh, I think every medical personnel will tell you that we are much more efficient in the treatment of COVID-19. We feel much better about it than we did four months ago. And nine out of 10 people that come with COVID to my emergency department go home. So hospitalizations are definitely down and the death rate is definitely down. 
I, I understand that the media talks about the numbers. Yeah, the numbers are higher because as we uh, hypothesize from the very beginning, most people that get this virus have very little symptoms. It might just be loss of taste and smell. It might just be a cough. It might just be a small fever. And now we're getting into an area where we are very comfortable with because we get the, the flu season every, every year. We, we get uh, a lot of people coming to our hospitals for, for colds. And that's the area that we're, we're getting into. I'm not insinuating that this COVID-19 is a cold, but I'm insinuating that we're really comfortable treating it. And um, the outcome, the purpose is to not overwhelm the medical personnel. As I said before, we can't eradicate this virus. So I heard some announcements yesterday that alarmed me. You know, we're going back to not being able to meet more than five people yeah. uh, in a place as of Monday. And, you know, jokingly, I, I thought, you know, when people ask me, how long is this pandemic gonna last? I'm gonna say, well, I don't know. I'm a doctor, not a politician. Right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> because it seems that that's what we're doing. We're making this a political football. Uh, please look at the data. Yes, there are more numbers out there, but those numbers, uh, if you compare them to the, uh, the symptoms of, of that people have with those numbers and the hospitalizations, the data is not there to close us down again. Uh, and certainly the data is not there to close mom and pop that see 20 people a day that could all open their business responsibly with whatever restrictions you want. Um, let the business owners decide if they want masks worn in their business. And, um, yep. you know, I'm, 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 I'm supportive of that. I'm supportive uh, of that because the economic uh, impact of it has been horrible. Um, so I tell people, look, I wear a mask to think of others and to prevent my air droplet from coming out of my mouth into someone else if they're vulnerable. Uh, so if I'm in a closed space and, and I can't social distance, I wear a mask or if someone feels comfortable that I wear a mask, I wear a mask, but the, but the choice is, is mine. And what we need to do is educate the public as to why mask will prevent that air droplet from, from passing on from person to person, which is what really happens here. Uh, and let that person be fully educated and decide whether or not they want to wear a mask. I think it's become a, a very political thing now because we go back to the same, the control that the government has had and the mandate. I believe you get more with honey than with vinegar. It's a, it's a big difference. Um, I often I'm driving and I and I see people running with mask on and I want to stop the car and tell them hey you don't have to wear a mask you're out in eastern washington we have beautiful nature please breathe it in be healthy exercise get as much oxygen as as you can with when when you're running um and I also want to stop people that are driving by themselves in their car and wearing a mask uh and I want to say no you, you don't have to do that okay um, so what it means is that the, the virus is very infectious. Okay. The virus is very infectious. And that's why 
I, I, I wear one when I go into, into a store or, or something like that. Because if I, if I uh, spit my air droplet and it lands on something and someone touches it and they don't wash your hands and they bring it to their mouth, that's how, that's how it replicates from one person to the other. But it's not in the air. It's not airborne. Right. Now, in hospitals, in hospitals, we take airborne precautions. Why? Because we have to give you safety and we have to step it up to make sure that there is no way that if you come to the hospital for a cut or, or a broken bone or, or a heart attack or a stroke, that you are going to get COVID from the hospital. So we have to step it up and we take airborne precautions. We wear special masks and 95 masks that are fitted. Uh, we make sure that everything is super clean all the time. We make sure the rooms are safe, uh, the hallways are safe, because now we're in a confined space. Uh, and for example, if we give a patient a treatment uh, that is uh, a nebulizer, that air droplet is going everywhere. So it will be in the air in that confined space. So we need to think of, of these things, and we have. I want people to understand that hospitals are safe, that we have taken extra precautions. So please, if you have chest pain or if you have signs of a stroke, that's not the time to say, well, I, I'm afraid to go to the hospital because I may get COVID there. Come, come to the hospital. The hospitals are safe. We have t stepped it up and we have uh, airborne precautions. That is very different from our day, everyday life. If this virus was airborne, the numbers will be astronomical. Uh, right. And and it is not. So this virus, it is not uh, is not airborne. You can go running and do your exercise without a mask on. Uh, you can drive in your car without a mask on. Um, okay. Enjoy our nature. We have a beautiful Pacific Northwest in this state that we all love. Uh, so enjoy it. It's part of being healthy. Uh, one of the things that I first started talking about, which no one talked about, is the one thing that's going to help us with this virus is our immune system. Yep. Let's stay healthy. We have lived enough to know those years in our lives or those months or those days where we felt super healthy. What were we doing? And probably we were sleeping well. We were eating well. We were exercising. And, and, and truthfully, we were watching comedy on TV because laughter creates health. Yeah, right, right. So let's, let's do those things. People ask me all the time, what supplements do I take to stay healthy? I say the ones that you have had experience with that work for your body. Right. Um, so, I mean, of course, being in a wellness clinic, we have recommendations and so on. But um, everybody, going back to the individual and freedom, everybody has the tools to make decisions, be healthy, beat this virus. What, what we have to do as a government is educate enough, over-educate, over-educate. So that individual feels that their freedom has not been taken away, that they can make their own decisions, and they feel very comfortable with it. And then they promote that with their family and their friends. 
Well, and that's a great point. We and we talk about this on our podcast quite often. Is there are basically three things we can control in our health, and you nailed them: sleep, exercise, and eating. And sleep is probably the most important. We'll die without sleep before we'll die without food, actually. Um, but that's how we keep our bodies healthy. That's how we keep our immune systems healthy. Um, our bodies have been fighting viruses for thousands and thousands of years. Um, there's no reason that we can't fight this virus if we're healthy. Because as you said, most people do not get sick from this virus. So um, healthy individuals... Um, you know, as long as you keep your body healthy, you, you you have a much, much better chance. So speaking of healthy individuals, especially young individuals, what are your thoughts about closing schools down because of um, COVID-19? Yes, I nearly lost my mind when 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 we closed schools down. I uh, I, I just didn't know who who was advising our government officials because this is our safest population against this virus. All the data shows uh, that we have had more virulent cases and more deaths from the flu in, in children than from COVID-19. And this is, this is real. This is all the data that's out there. And we've never locked schools down because of the flu, have we? No, no, we have not. And uh, just checking. <laughs> when we, when we lock, when we close schools, I, uh, really, I was in such disbelief. Um, we do need to protect vulnerable teachers, but <clears throat> our student population uh, and all the data shows that responds very well to this virus. And uh, those students that have had COVID-19 um, have mostly been asymptomatic or have very little symptoms. Uh, so you understand my frustration when we did that because herd immunity was thrown out the window uh, when we did that. And of course, these students now came to stay with grandma and grandpa who are vulnerable. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're saying house arrest doesn't really doesn't really work because um, it's a virus. It's going to spread. So are we just are we prolonging this pandemic by yeah. by trying to make people stay home? That is exactly what we're doing. That is exactly what we're doing. Let's jump off the cliff. That's it. We're, and, we're in it. And protect our vulnerable. Yes, absolutely. Um, there, is, there is no other purpose here. As, other, as I have explained, this is not a virus we're going to eradicate. It's out there. So let's ride the wave. Let's, pro let's protect our most vulnerable population and make sure that we focus on helping our medical personnel. Make sure that they have the numbers and that they have the proper protection uh, equipment, yeah, the proper protective equipment. Here is a thing that, that I'd like to bring up, which is very important. Because of furloughing nurses and because of the economic state that our hospitals have been put through, now every hospital, and I, I, I don't want to say every hospital, I, I want to say most hospitals, and if you're not involved in this, I apologize, but most hospitals have a formula. How many staff members does it take to treat the people that are coming in? And most hospitals in that formula have nurses stay home on call or um, give them the day off because we don't have enough people coming into the hospital. And then when people rush in, we don't have enough personnel yep. because you know, we guess wrong in some days 
And that's when you hear in the media, oh, Hospital X is at full capacity. Well, Hospital X is at full capacity, not because there's not enough beds, but because we let medical personnel stay home because we took a chance that not enough people were going to come in. And now we don't have enough nursing for those beds. And that is happening across the state. Um, I don't blame the hospitals because they have to survive. So they have to guess what is the best formula so they can just keep their head above water. But um, it's, it's real. So my point here is that when the media says, well, the hospitals are a capacity. Well, let's, let's be transparent. Right. The hospitals are a capacity, not because of beds, but because of personnel that is not there to treat those beds. So, and those we, personnel weren't there because of a government a government mandate that they could only do essential procedures. So the government caused the problem. Oh no, this that's obvious. And and and, and uh, unfortunately, Doctor Garcia, it's not obvious to everybody. They don't want to believe that, but I I do believe the government caused that problem, and maybe intentionally. Well, I I uh, my faithful guy and try to look for the positives and everything. I think that it wasn't purposeful. I think that, you know, they thought that they knew what they were doing. I just don't know who was advising them, truly. Right, right. So let's move on to a different topic. Uh, Thank you so much. And, um, you know, your expertise in this area. I mean, you've... You've been on the front lines, you're a microbiologist, you're an immunologist. I consider you an expert. I don't know um, what your thoughts are on that, but I I consider you that you've got a great background on this and you are, are an expert in that field. And it'll, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of um, response we get from, from your opinion because um, I truly, truly appreciate it because there's unfortunately not enough of, of you out there saying these things. So I appreciate that. So... We talked about a vaccine. Um, vaccines come from Big Pharma. Um, I, I, when I first met you, I heard you say some things about Big Pharma, and you said, "Well, that's a." You were just, you know, speaking for about a half hour, and you said, "Well, that's a, that's a whole other conversation." And of course, being a pharmacist and not liking Big Pharma myself, I really um, zeroed in on that, and I want to talk to you more about that. So, what are your thoughts about Big Pharma um, and the FDA? and a risk of getting in trouble here. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a business. It's a business that that requires research. Um, and unfortunately, that research uh, is charged to the United States of America. Um, and that, that's, that is very unfortunate. That is very unfortunate that, that when I travel to, to Portugal or Spain, I, I go to a pharmacy and the same medication that I see here is a tenth of the price there. Right. So it is a business that that we need to find better solutions to. Why are we as Americans paying for everything um, to supply the rest of the world? Uh, it has to be a, a bit more equitable. And uh, like I said, it is a business, but somewhere in the in the past. Someone made a decision that, that that we should be penalized for being Americans with big pharma, and uh, that's not that's not okay. We need to find better solutions to that. And I and I truthfully think that the FDA uh, needs to have accountability and 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 
leadership in this and sit at the table and find better solutions to this. I, I think that we have all been a part of the problem. And what we have right now is not fair to the American people. What are your thoughts about, um, you know, free trade, free market competition in, in the pharmaceutical industry? And how has the FDA improved that or stifled that? I, there is everything. I said that there's nothing about me about that, that says mandates. Well, there's everything about me about free trade. Awesome. I think that free trade uh, welcomes competition. Uh, and the consumer gets the to to ripe the benefit of of that competition with with less cost and and uh, less overbearing regulations. Uh, really, um, I think that we could do that in in pharma. We can do that in insurance companies. You know, one of my uh, ideas to better healthcare in Washington state is to ask the federal government to let us open up the borders of Washington state to insurance companies from other states yep. and, and create more free trade, create more competition. So our premiums go down. Uh, we kind of have a monopoly here in Washington state as far as insurance companies are concerned. Yeah, I think, I think last time I looked, there's only two options. Right. So, so they can basically charge whatever they want. So we need more competition. We need more free trade, both in pharma and insurance companies. So our consumers get a better um, result, get uh, less cost out of their pocket to to where we're getting. And I, I, I joke around that our government has doubled in size over the last eight years. And I ask citizens, do you feel that you're getting twice the, the benefits now? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and what I, I write about these things in my book. I, I wrote a book, um, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And, and some of these issues, it's, it's, it's about a free market. When we can educate and empower consumers that they're in charge of their own healthcare. And that also includes, it also means pricing of their own healthcare, um, which can include insurance policies, um, also, you know, shop around where they can go to a doctor or hospital. When we can put them in charge and empower them, um, and create a free market, then prices go down and service goes up. Absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent. You, uh, you have my vote on that. <laughs> so speaking of pricing, this is a pretty hot, hot, hot topic. And you being an ER physician, you're uh, qualified to answer the question, what about transparency and pricing in hospitals and just healthcare in general? I, we talk about this often on our podcast because, you know, um, you go to a hotel and you ask them, "Hey, how much it is for a ho- how much it is is it for a hotel tonight?" Oh, you know, it's um, one hundred and seventy nine dollars. Okay, great. You go to a hospital and you say, "Well, how much is it for a colonoscopy?" Oh, we don't really know. Uh, it depends on how the doctor codes it, and and then we'll you know we'll send you a bill in, in six months, and then there's a surprise big bill. We we just in general we don't have that. Now there are exceptions to that rule. There are a lot of cash clinics coming out now. The surgery center of Oklahoma was one of the first ones I know of in 1997 that started posting transparent prices and they would say it is, you know, XYZ for a surgery, all things inclusive. So what are your um, 
thoughts on transparency and pricing. Um, I know there's, I'm not for government mandates, as you are not, but I know the um, executive branch, the Trump administration um, has some kind of mandate, I think, about hospitals being transparent in pricing. And of course, the hospitals are suing about that. What are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, I have sat here and said that I'm the candidate that's going to make government transparent. So I would like everything transparent. I, you know, my goal is to make it better for you and I, as a citizen of this state, um, to make it better for our families, to make it better for our home, for our jobs. And so I could imagine, uh, look, I'm an emergency physician that doesn't ask for money. So when you come to my ER, I treat you and, and you move on and I have nothing to do with the, with the financial side, but I have sat and led, um, state and, and, and national organizations that, that talk about these things. And I would love to see transparency in hospitals because I could just imagine, like you said, when we go to a hotel, you know exactly uh, what the charge of a movie that you have on the screen is. Right. <laughs> um, and we have made it so complicated that I will tell you that even people in hospitals will tell you, gosh, that would just be so hard to do because we build differently one way and, and we build differently the other. Gosh, how could we? And even people that want to make it transparent, we have made such an animal right. out of billing. Yep. Uh, and, and, and the government is not uh, innocent in this. Uh, the government has its hands right in it because the government has made uh, the payments for uh, insurances from Medicare that other insurance uh, that other insurance companies follow. Correct. Yeah. So, so <laughs> difficult yep. that people have to to wean and and dock and 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 the billing has to be different and it it, it is an animal that we need to simplify and certainly I am all for transparency. Um, it, it's. Um, you can't, yeah, you can't imagine how how much work we need to do in this because it's become so complex um, that two hospitals that are a mile apart uh, will build differently. Yeah, they make it complicated and they, they do it purposely. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. I, I had a guy on my show from the James Dunavant, director of the Free Market Medical Association. He said... Of course, it's complicated. He said, compare it to if you went into a store to buy a gallon of milk and you get up there and the cashier doesn't know what to charge you because she doesn't know what program you're on. So she doesn't even know how to charge you for a gallon of milk. It's exactly what we've done in healthcare. Right. The price right. is different depending on what program you're on. That's insanity. <laughs> I mean, that is crazy. So right. it right. doesn't so have to be complicated. It really doesn't. No, I, as I said, it's such a big animal. And that gallon of milk, yeah, the cashier will say, well, how about 20 bucks? Let's see what your insurance gives us for it. Exactly. <laughs> and then and then the insurance gives you $1.99. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> nobody really pays the 20 bucks, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a big animal. It really is. It's something that, that we will spend uh, months and months and months and months uh, trying to reverse. I, I, like I said, I'm faithful. I, I try to look for the positive in things. So I, um, I will say, yes, let's do it. Uh, I am in support of it. I'm just uh, 
giving you the, the picture of how complex it is. Right. So you mentioned something when at our pre-conference call, um, eliminate out-of-network providers. So um, tell our listeners, viewers, um, what that means. I think that it would be huge to to the citizens of the state to have that service. We, again, make it so complicated. And I would love for... Um, for out-of-network providers to to be gone. That means... Which means what? Yeah, what does that mean? Which means that you can choose any doctor that has a license in the state of Washington to be your doctor, to be your surgeon, to be your your orthopedic uh, surgeon, to be your endocrinologist, to be your cardiologist. Um, We make it complicated right now. What, What we have now is that you have to find a doctor within the network of your insurance. And then if they refer you to someone else, then you have to find that someone else within the network of your insurance. And if you don't, then there are are extra costs added to it. On the other side of it, to become an in-network provider, physicians have to fill out an application, truthfully, that takes three weeks to fill out um, and, and go to a vetting process to make sure that that you can get that insurance and be charged. It's become a business uh, to become an in-network provider. And uh, I'm gonna work very hard to try and eliminate that because the, the service that the citizens will get out of it will be great. I mean, essentially the insurance companies have created a monopoly. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and, uh, and you have to go through that tunnel and that's the only tunnel you could go through to get to the other side. Let's break the tunnels. Let's make it easy. Um, every physician that has a license in the state of Washington has been vetted, has has worked hard to, to get that license, and they should have the ability to accept any insurance. Uh, I know that the insurance companies are not gonna like me for this, but I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of the people. Right. Right. Okay. So last question, then we'll wrap this podcast up because I know you've got to work in the ER today, correct? I actually worked yesterday. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you, I thought you had a a shift today too. So, um, you've talked, uh, before about L and I and how it's a monopoly and how employer, you know, we should privatize that or give employers options. Uh, go, go into that a little bit deeper. Well, I have experienced L and I firsthand with my small business. And uh, <laughs> I often joke with my wife that the second day of being governor, I'm going to have a big meeting with the LNI department <laughs> and ask them to explain to me why their job is important to them and how we could continue in a new direction because this direction is, is not working. Uh, yes, I think that the LNI system has a monopoly. I think that we need to bring private enterprise to compete uh, so employers have choices to give their, their employees. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's huge. I think that we open up again, free market. Uh, yep. We open competition and, and, and that creates better service. So, so I am uh, looking forward to that. Like I said, on the second day that I become governor, we're gonna tackle that on because uh, the system right now is uh, probably one of the most frustrating uh, LNI systems I've I've dealt with, and I'm dealing with it as a doctor, having patients get denied and denied and denied, uh-huh. 
things that, that need to happen. Um, so I am here to, to really focus on it and, and, and change that. Awesome. So uh, in a couple of minutes, sum up, you know, do you have any parting words and, and how do people uh, find you? Well, uh, Dr. Garcia, the number four, governor.com. That is our website, Dr. Garcia for governor.com. Um, we are very excited with our campaign. Um, in a matter of two months, our campaign has united uh, a party from people that are very moderate to people that are very conservative. Uh, the endorsements that we've had from, from Governor Evans to, to Senator Chesler, uh, to Rob McKenna, uh, to Doc Hastings are an example that it, it can be done. It, it can't, we can unite uh, this state. Uh, I think that in November is not going to be about Democrats or Republicans. It's gonna be about the best person for the job. And I think that the current administration has shown real uh, inability to be accountable, uh, incompetent at times, and, and, and to have no decisive leadership. Things have happened in our state lately that I don't even have to go into in Seattle and so on that, that needed a leader. And uh, I uh, will ask all your, your viewers and, and thank them again for the time that I'll ask the same that Michael Jordan used to ask to the Chicago Bulls when the game was on the line. Michael Jordan used to always say, give me the ball. I don't care how many obstacles I have to go through. I'm going to make the shot. And there's no one that's running for governor that has more experience and expertise than I do to take us out of this pandemic and in a place where we will never be unprepared again to, to get us to better healthcare, to resolve the mental illness deficit that we have in this state to find a robust drug addiction rehabilitation program that really takes people off the street and if we concentrate on those two issues mental health and drug addiction we really take a big chunk out of our homelessness issue i'm an immigrant i have uh, gone through the legal immigration system I do believe that we need a robust legal immigration system and we need to resolve this political football that we call immigration these days with, with a lot of illegals that we have in our state. So I have ideas for that. And I luckily been working for this my whole life in executive jobs uh, and, and positions at the state level and national level to really be ready to govern, not to just win this election, but I want to be overprepared January 18th of next year to resolve all these issues that we've talked about. So I locally have been a member of a profession that accountability and decisive leadership and competence are vital. Right. I respect every second of the day uh, or people die. And, and I know how heavy this job is. I have a very clear vision of what we're going to do. And we have a window here to unite the state and go into a new future. I think we can do it. We've gone through a big crisis. Let's get out of the darkness. Let's get into a brighter future. We're so full of natural and human resources in this state. There's no reason why Washington can't lead the rest of the country from the left upper hand corner. So uh, now that the state is on the line, that we are looking at this abyss 
Let's pull back. And I'll ask again, give me the ball. You give me the ball, you and I together will get to that brighter future. Wow. What, what an inspiring story you have and what an honor and a privilege it was to have you on today. Um, listeners, viewers, go check it out. Dr. Garcia for governor.com. Um, it, it sure does seem like, Dr. Garcia, that you are definitely qualified for what's going on right now. Um, I don't believe in coincidences, and I think there's just a lot of things um, that uh, bring you out. And, yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence. So um, thank you for being on the show today, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Tom.